0: You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. I'm so glad you came to church this morning. Are you glad you came to church? Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about serving this morning, and we'll probably continue this into next week. And so I encourage you to come back because it's important. But every time we talk about serving, lots of times we focus, and we're going to look at it here in a minute because I want to lay a foundation. You've been called to serve. Can I get a witness? Amen. And no one in the body of Christ is exempt. And so I pray this morning as we talk about this, don't let it make you feel guilty or bad. That's not the point of this message. Yes, God will convict us and he'll challenge us to step up and put our hands to things. But this message is not to make you feel bad this morning. It's to challenge you. Amen. And if you're serving, I believe you're going to be challenged to continue to serve. And if you're not serving, I believe you're going to be challenged to step up and serve. Amen. But I want you to think about this, that, you know, maybe you're not supposed to serve every Sunday, but you are supposed to serve. Amen. And as each part does its part, everything works together for the good of the body of Christ. Amen. And so we all have to be sure that we're doing our part. And I believe that God's got something for us. But when we talk about this, we usually talk about how our servant benefits those around us. We talk about how God has called us to serve and he has called us to serve. But today, after we lay the foundation, I want to start talking about how serving benefits you. There's some benefits in the Word of God that if you will serve and put your hand to the work plow of the ministry, as all of us are called to do, that some benefits will come your way by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so that's what we're going to talk about. But first, let's lay this foundation. First of all, understand that you're called to serve God and serve others. Over in Deuteronomy 11, verse 3, it says, so if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So this verse gives us the implication that if we love God, we're going to serve God. Right? It is implying that if you love God, there's going to be some evidence and there's going to be some fruit of that in your life and the evidence and the fruit of that is going to be you're going to serve Him. Amen. So we don't stop at loving him, but we take the next step and we serve him. Psalms chapter 2, verse 11 out of the Amplified it says, Worship the Lord and serve him with reverence, with awe inspired fear and submissive wonder. Rejoice yet do so with trembling. We serve him with reverence and submissive wonder. Now listen to me a life of serving is a life submitted to God. Don't get quiet on me now. Hallelujah, don't get awkward. We, we haven't even started to move into your house yet. <laughs> Amen? But a life of serving God is a life that is submitted to God. And most of the time when people don't serve, it's not because they're not qualified. It's not because they don't have the abilities and the talents. Because we know that God has put that on the inside of every single one of us. Most of the time when they don't serve, it's because they have a submission tomorrow. A submission problem. Amen. I'll say that again because I kind of stuttered a little bit. But most of the time when people don't serve, it's not because they don't have talents and abilities and it's because God's put that in all of us. But when they don't serve, it's because they have a submission problem. And we need to deal with that. Amen. And this is what the Bible talks about. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and then in due time he'll exalt you. Everybody's like, Lord, exalt me. Give me that position. And God is saying, humble yourself and serve. Come on, step into that position. Well, I can't serve on the praise and worship team because they require me to wear a certain type of clothes. What is that? That's a submission problem. So you're going to withhold the talents and abilities that God has given you because you can't submit to a particular style of dress code. Oh, man. Mm. Well, I can't usher because they got to come early. I can't work. Now, listen to me. Everyone in the parking lot team, you ought to give them a big old hug. Amen, because they, they work in every single element known to man. Amen. And we live in Alabama, so an umbrella don't help you No, We get that sideways rain, hallelujah, that comes in. Uh, it's all sneaky with it, and it comes in on the side of the umbrella, and you get dressed. And not only are they dealing with the elements, they're dealing with all you. Okay. Trying to run them over. Y'all don't know what a stop sign means, hallelujah. You forget what the little vest and the gloves mean, and you're just like, oh, they moving targets. I see them out there, hallelujah, and you're trying to hit them, Amen. But listen to me now, we have to submit, well, I, I just can't come, you know, I gotta set up cones and everything, and it's a lot of work. And you make excuses, but what you're really showing us is that you have a problem with submission. And well, someone who won't submit can't receive anything from God. Someone say that's good preaching. Yeah, y'all know it is, hallelujah. Romans 12, verses 9 through 13 says, love must be sincere. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo yourselves in honor in one another. Don't let, do not let your zeal subside. So we're supposed to be excited. (laughs) You know, we don't walk in the door. You know, if you just imagine Mr. Ted walking in, man, I gotta lead worship again. (laughs) These people are hard. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm gonna be up here by myself. And he's just all bummed out about it. That's gonna translate to all of you. He said, don't let your zeal subside. Be excited about what you're doing for God. Be excited that you get to serve the creator of the universe. Be excited that you get to give your little fraction of a life back to him. Oh, come on now. There's not a whole lot of gifts that you can give him that matter, but serving is one because there's going to be a crown in heaven for it. Amen. Amen. And as you give your life back to him, You're laying up treasures in heaven. Glory to God. And not only that, you're coming underneath the one that can lift you up. Amen. And so we do it with excitement and we do it with zeal. I was just talking with someone this morning in the bathroom. Y'all, you have anointed conversations in the bathroom? Hallelujah. Anyways, you know, I was talking to them about serving in the parking lot, and they just told me, you know, they said, man, before I started, I was just thinking it was going to be hard and it was going to be a lot of work. And he said, I started doing it. It's actually a lot of fun. Put your hand to it. It's probably different than what you think. Maybe you'll actually enjoy it. One of the benefits, which we're going to look at next week, is you actually get the fulfillment and the joy of obeying God. Amen? So is important, and so we see that we're supposed to do it with zeal. Do not let your zeal subside. Keep your spiritual fervent serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, uh, affliction, persistent in prayer, share with the saints in need, practice hospitality. So we're called to serve the Lord, and we should do it with zeal, and as we serve God, it leads us to serve others. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11, just putting down a baseline, a foundation. Someone say glory to Glory to God. Amen. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, have we heard anything about grace the last couple weeks? Did you know you're supposed to be a good steward of the grace of God that is on your life? Amen. And that's all the graces of God. That are. You're supposed to be a good steward of the grace of God that is on your life that has prospered you. And the way you're a good steward of that grace is you're a giver, just as Travis was talking about. You're generous with what God has blessed you with. You're a tither and you're a giver. And as you do that, you're being a good steward of the grace of God that has empowered you to become rich. Amen. Amen. What about standing grace? Be a good steward of the grace of God. When it comes to standing grace, how do we be good stewards of that grace? Well, when the devil comes and attack you, you don't lay down and let him run you over. No, be a good steward of the grace of God. He's empowered you to stand, so stand therefore. Yes. Amen? Be a good steward of the grace of saving grace of God. How are we good stewards of the servant grace? We practice fidelity to our king. Yeah. I'm not going to walk away and shipwreck my faith. I'm going to be a good steward of the saving grace of God, so I'm committed to him in all things. But it's the same way with serving grace. How do you be a good steward of serving grace that is on your life? It's very easy. You serve. And we're supposed to be good stewards over the grace that is on our life. Be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And as you're good stewards over it, guess what happens? It increases. right. Right? Pastor, we don't have to review everything Pastor talked about last three weeks, right? Or actually, I think it was like 10 weeks. I don't know. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But I want that grace to grow. And so as that grace, what do I got to do to grow that grace? Well, I've got to grow in it. I've got to be a good steward over it. Amen. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. Verse 11. If he speaks, he should speak as a as one conveying the words of God. If anyone serves, he should serve with the strength that God provides. So that's grace right there. You don't serve in your own strength. You serve in his strength. So that in all things, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ, whom the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And so we don't serve in our own strength, but when we do serve in the grace of God, God is glorified. Amen. Amen. And so we lift him up so others can see him. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. We're just laying a foundation. Then we're going to get after it. We're going to talk about benefits. Everyone say benefits. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to look at it here in a minute. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 out of the Amplified. It says, So then, while we as individual believers have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, not only being helpful, but also doing that which promotes their spiritual well-being. When you serve in the body of Christ, whether it's on the parking lot team, whether it's as an usher, whether it's on the worship team, whether it's sound, whatever it is, you are promoting the spiritual well-being of your brothers and sisters in Christ you are giving them an opportunity to grow in the things of the Lord. You're giving them an opportunity to grow in God so that they can receive everything that God has for them and especially be a blessing to those of the household faith, those that are born again. Cotton Mather said this. He said, this is the true rule about doing good. The opportunity to do good imposes the obligation to do it. Just think about that for a minute. I'm going to read it again. This is the true rule about doing good. The opportunity to do good imposes the obligation to do it. And so we've got to get past seeing the opportunity and we've got to get over into the obligation that I'm going to do something about this. We've got to stop seeing the opportunity and instead take personal responsibility, understand that there's a gift in and a talent and an ability on the inside of you to do something about the opportunity that's before you. Oh, wow, look at that. The ushers need help. Somebody, instead of just seeing that opportunity, feel obligated to do something about it. I'm getting beyond the opportunity and over to the commitment. I'm not just going to criticize and talk about the problem, but I'm going to be a part of the solution. Glory to God. And when we do that, it creates growth and love in the body of Christ. When everybody starts doing what they are obligated to do. As everybody, come on, y'all smile at me this morning. Amen. Someone say, this is good. I'm trying to get you to believe that it is good. Hallelujah. Once we get beyond the opportunity and we fulfill our obligation, it allows the body to grow. Let's look over here in Ephesians chapter four, verse 16. It says, he makes the whole body fitted together perfectly as each part does its own special work. You have a special work. And the thing about your special work is I can't do it for you. You can't do my special work and I can't do your special work. I can't do Pastor Mark's and I can't do Pastor Ron. I can only do Robert's, Amen. amen? And when I don't do Robert's, I steal my supply from the body right? It's about stepping in as individuals. And this is what I was saying. Maybe some of us, we feel obligated to serve every day. That's totally fine. And we need to fulfill that obligation. Maybe others of us, we feel like we're only supposed to serve once a month. Go ahead and serve once a month. It's about praying, finding out what God has for you to do and then doing it. Someone say no more excuses. What am I supposed to do? Now listen, whether you serve every time we're together or not, every single time the doors are open, whether you're serving or not, you should be here. Mm, I'm going to say that again because that should be 100% amen. Hallelujah. Whether you serve or not, every time the doors are open, every time the doors are open, you should be here. And that's not just my opinion. That's the word of God. He said that we should gather all the more together as the day draws nigh. So what does that mean? If I only worshiped on Sundays, but now we're getting closer to Jesus coming back, I should be here on Sundays, Sunday nights, and Wednesdays. Glory to God. Why? Because I'm going to increase my gathering together because the Word of God told me to do that as the day draws nigh. Right? And so it doesn't matter. Now listen, just because you're here every time the doors are open, I believe you are, doesn't mean you're supposed to serve every time. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty or like they're not doing their part. But I do believe you have a part. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's like me, and you feel like you're supposed to do it every time the doors are open. You're putting your hand to something. Amen? My point is, is there's something for everybody. There's something. Nobody on the sidelines, everybody doing their part. Amen? And look at what happens. As everybody does their own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so the whole body is supposed to be healthy. The whole body is supposed to be growing. And the whole body supposed to be full of love. And one way to accomplish that and to achieve that is by every single uh, part, doing their part. Now, over in Galatians chapter 6, it talks about let us not grow weary in well-doing. You know, when a few people are doing all the work, there's weary in well-doing. <laughs> Can I just go ahead and say something? It doesn't matter if you say yes or not. I'm going to say it anyways. Hallelujah. Don't let your life be a source of discouragement for someone else. Don't let your lack of serving cause somebody else to grow weary in well-doing. I don't want to be responsible for somebody else walking away from the faith because they get weary in well-doing because they're doing everything. Right? Right? You know, when I was uh, going to Bible school, I was working and I was serving at World Outreach Church, Pastor Mark Brzee and Janet's church there in Oklahoma. And uh, it was a church of 200, 250. And uh, we were meeting in a high school because they didn't have a building yet. And so every Sunday we had to set up everything. We had to set up all the sound system. Everything for the praise and worship team, everything you see up here on stage, all the speakers, the signage, the bookstore, the coffee store, all the children's areas. We set up the children's areas in the basement. We would load up the U-Haul on Saturday because there wasn't enough time to do it on Sunday before church. And then they'd pick me up because I didn't have a car. They'd bring the U-Haul to my apartment. They'd pick me up around 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. We'd drive to the high school and we'd set everything up. And there was only five of us that did all that. And because there was only five of us, it took us five Five and a half hours to do all the work. I remember one time, this is funny, we prioritize stuff, you know. There's certain things you can live without at the service if we ran out of time. So we put the bookstore and the coffee house that, you know, those would be the last things. I remember one time I was setting up the bookstore and I was almost done. And it was about 1030, church service was about to start. People were coming in and they saw me working, you know, covered in sweat, just been doing everything. And one person walks up and they see me working in the bookstore and they go, hey, I see you're struggling. You need any help with that? And I thought to myself, you about five hours late. Where have you been all morning? You know what I mean? No, I don't want your help. I don't even, anyways, I don't even want you here. Get out. of But my point is, is a lot of those guys that did all that work got really discouraged. Now, I only had to do it for two years, then I got to move to Alabama. woo But when a few people are doing all the work, it breeds discouragement. I'll say that again. When a few people are doing all the work, it breeds discouragement. And I don't want anyone to be discouraged because of my lack of involvement. Amen. Amen. I want to do my part so every part's growing healthy and full of love. So that's our baseline. We see that we're all called to serve. Now let's begin to look at some of the benefits. Benefit number one, and I didn't really put these in order, but I do believe that this one is probably the most important. Benefit number one that happens to you as a believer when you serve, number one, it makes you more like Jesus. Now let me ask you this. If we're not trying to become more like Jesus, then what are we doing? Amen. If I'm not trying to be more like Him, then why am I even here? Why are you here this morning? Why am I a disciple? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I pray? Why do I worship? I do all of those things because I'm endeavoring to be more like Jesus. Amen? And to be more like Jesus, I have to understand the character of Jesus and who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Jesus was and Jesus is a servant. And since he was and he is a servant, as I serve and the more I serve, the more I become like my master. The more, listen to me now, your king is a servant. Amen. And if we're going to become like him, we must serve. Matthew 20, 20, 28, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 23, verse 11 through 12, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Philippians chapter two, verse five through seven, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And so the apostle Paul, he's telling us something. He was right in the church of Philippians, and he's saying, listen, Jesus thought a certain way, and the way Jesus thought, I want you to have that mentality as well. The the mind of Christ, his mind that was in him, let that mind be in you too. And then after he tells us the way Jesus thought, you need to think. Then he begins to give us insight as to how Jesus thought. Who existed in the form of God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Let the thought of Christ be in you as well. But emptied himself, taking the form of what? A servant. Being made in human likeness. And so Apostle Paul saying, Let the mind of Christ be in you. The the mind of Christ was, let me be a servant. Let me empty myself and pour my life out as a ransom for others. Now, this is so, Jesus is incredible. He's the only person that ever went about ministry at the end of his ministry. He's the only one that went at it completely by himself. I mean, think about that for a minute. When he hung there on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, rejected by both. He did that by himself. And I think sometimes, you know, when we see these hard things like serving in the body of Christ, one thing that keeps us from doing it is we look at the sacrifice. And when we look at the sacrifice, it keeps us from moving forward. That's not the mind of Christ. Even that cross that he faced by himself because his father, you know, rejected him and departed from him on that cross. He was without him. And we know that earth was rejecting him. They were the ones crucifying him. So he was all alone. But how did he get through that? He didn't get through that by looking at the sacrifice. The word of God says with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So that means his mentality and his focus was I'm looking beyond this sacrifice to the rewards of what is happening. And that's the way we have to be. That empowers us to serve. We look beyond the sacrifice. We look beyond the clothes we're required to wear, the time frame that we have to show up. We look beyond the sacrifice that we have to make as an individual and we say, you know what? I'm willing to empty my life and pour it out so I can serve others the way my king served me. The more we serve, the more we become like Jesus. And let this mind of Christ be in you. Let's go over to John chapter 13, verse 12. This is the washing of the feet of the disciples. And just to give you, because I think sometimes we read these scriptures and we don't really understand exactly what's going on. Understand, washing the disciples' feet was a big deal because feet in Eastern civilization is very, very gross and very ungodly and very nasty. Right? I mean, most of them, some of them had sandals. Most of them walked around barefoot. And there's livestock and there's cattle everywhere. I mean, you know, when we went to India, Pastor Rhonda, she gave us etiquette classes on what to do and what not to do in India because we didn't want to offend anybody. And still today, if you go to India, they tell you not to point your feet at anybody because feet are deemed very gross and unclean. And one reason they're unclean is because they just... Like I said, they have livestock everywhere. I remember when I was over in India, I was on the phone in a convenience store. I was at the back of the convenience store and I was talking to Rachel on the phone. I put a little phone card in and I called her. And while I was on the phone, a cow just walked in the convenience store. He just walked right in the convenience store. I told Rachel, like, baby, you won't believe what's going on. There's a cow in here trying to buy a stickers bar. You know, I don't know what he's doing, you know. And the, the owner came back. We all came from around the counter and had this little wicker broom and started hitting it in the face and trying to get it out of there. And I grew up on a ranch. And one thing I learned about livestock is when they got to go to the bathroom, they go to the bathroom. And they don't care who's watching. They don't care where they are. If they have to, you know, and I'm not trying to be too descriptive here, but they'll go doo-doo anywhere they need to go doo-doo. You know, whether it's in a convenience store, whether it's in a road. And so since it's everywhere, most of the time you step in it. And they don't have anything to protect their feet. What I'm trying to show you is a very vivid picture of what Jesus was actually doing here. It's not like modern day society, you know, where you get home and you take off your shoes and your socks and maybe your feet smell a little bit like vinegar. (laughs) Because you're all using that gold bomb from Walmart. (laughs) Foot powder, right? No, that's not what it was like. This is nasty. This is gross. But guess what? It wasn't beyond Jesus. Uh oh. Well, I can't serve as an usher. That's just beyond me. I'm above it. I can't serve in the parking lot. I'm above that. Jesus wasn't above washing the feet of his disciples. And I'll just go ahead and say this. If your king wasn't above serving, you shouldn't be above serving. Because we're going to read scripture in a minute, but no one's greater than the teacher. So look at this. John, where are we at? Oh, yeah, chapter 13, verse 12. Thank you. Glory to God. In verse 12, he said this, And washing their feet, he put his robe on again and sat down. Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because it's true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done unto you. What's one of the benefits? As we serve, we become more like him. And notice what Jesus said. As you've seen me do, go and do it to others. I've given you an example, and I didn't just give you an example, but now go and follow it. Kind of reminds me of don't just be hearers of the word, but let us be doers of the word. Amen. Over in Luke 6, 40, it says students are not greater than their teacher, but a student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. This is the goal, to become more and more like Jesus. Can I get a witness this morning? Amen. Amen. Well, how do we do that? We've got to serve. And so one benefit, I want to become more like him. The next benefit is it allows us to receive our training and develop our spiritual gifts. I believe this with all my heart. If you don't serve, you're going to miss out on part of your training. Amen. You're going to miss out on something. Because you know, uh, just like Pastor was talking about serving grace, serving grace just isn't for you to use when you're here at church, but you're supposed to use it at work too. Amen? And you need to be trained in that grace so you can use that grace at the workplace. When you receive, listen, God is always trying, there's so many different people we can talk about. I remember Joel Osteen, who's got a very large church in Houston. Whether you agree with him, whether you like his teaching or don't like his teaching, he's got a church of 20,000 people. And I think when his dad was in charge of the church, it was about 7,000 people. And where was Joel Osteen? He was working one of the cameras. And then after his father passed away, he went from the camera to the pulpit and the church blew up. But he served first. Even in my own life, I've been serving on the church since I was born. I've been in every Easter program, (laughs) whether I wanted to or not. I remember one time I was laying on this cross and two Roman soldiers were beating me. And and I remember his name was Jerry and and he had these long nails and he he was supposed to go next to my hand, but he actually hit my hand and I started bleeding. And I remember after that Easter service, one lady came up to me and she said, you did such a good job acting up there. And I told her I was hurt. You know, he hit me with the nail that wasn't acting. I was in pain. You know, the man hit me. (laughs) But I was serving, receiving my training. I remember one time they put me in the tomb and we worked this little extension ladder and I came out of the tomb and I rose from the grave and I went up the tomb and I was supposed to run across the nursery and come back and I was running across the ceiling and I slipped, you know, how they have those little trusses and you're supposed to walk on the trusses. I missed one of them, fell through the roof right into the nursery. (laughs) Just Jesus dropping in, hallelujah, checking on the babies, (laughs) glory to God. (laughs) How y'all doing? Just raising from the dead, no big deal. I mean, it was fantastic. But serving in the body, but guess what? The only reason I'm here is because God was able to train me, and the only reason God trained me is because I served. When you serve, he's able to teach you something that you need to go the places that you're going, whether it's in ministry or whether it's in work, whether it's in your career, or listen to me, or in your family. As you serve, God's able to impart things to you that are going to help you in life. So, one of the benefits is as we serve, God teaches us some things. Let's look at Samuel. We all know this example. This is David with Goliath. Samuel chapter 16. I'm sorry, chapter 17. Verse 32, don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I'll go fight this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep. What is he saying? I've been serving. And because I've been serving, I've been trained. And since I'm trained, and I'm going to go ahead and just say this. Listen to me now. If you don't serve, you're not qualified to slay. You're going to have some giants that are going to pop up in your life. And if you want to slay those giants, you better learn how. And the way you learn how is through serving. David was qualified to slay Goliath because he was serving his father out in the field. And when he was serving his father out in the field, he was receiving some stuff from God that set him up for this opportunity. Now, remember, he went beyond the opportunity to obligation. I'll do something about this. And look, let's keep reading. There's no way you can go. David persisted. I have taken care of my father's sheep. I have served. He said, and when a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I take the lamb out of its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Well, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, I've done this with both the lions and the, just, I mean, that's amazing. Someone make a movie about that. I mean, that's super cool. The lion's not like, nah, bro, I want some lamb chops. And David's like, nah, clubbing it, just beating on it until it dies. I mean, this is epic stuff. Right? I mean, this is really cool, but where was he empowered to do this? He was empowered to kill Goliath because he was taking care of his father's sheep. Now, if you go back, well, let's just finish this. I take a lamb from his mouth, an animal turns on me, I I club it to death. I have done this with both lions and bears and I'll do it with this Philistine too for he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear and he'll save me from this Philistine. So you learn things while you're training in the field so when you face stuff out there, you know how to deal with it. Amen. Now, this is interesting. If you jump back to chapter 16, you remember Samuel came to Jesse's house, and he was looking to anoint the the kings, and he looked at all Jesse's sons, and he's like, ooh, that one looks strong and big and smart. Surely he's the king, and he goes to anoint him with olive oil, and he's like, nope, that's not it. And he goes all through his sons, and then he says, do you have any other children? And then we pick it up here in this verse. He says, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep. And this is just incredible to me. His father didn't think what he was doing was important. Because he, he didn't even give him a seat at the table. His brothers weren't out there serving, but yet David was serving and he lined himself up. Because he was trained. He lined himself up to be anointed king. And so while other people think what you're doing isn't important, God completely disagrees with it. He says, wow, what you're doing is important. And you know what? You're setting yourself up for promotion. As we serve, we're preparing and training for what we're going to face. Amen? Now, we can see this over in Acts chapter 6. Just real quick, i got 15 more examples for you. That was a joke, maybe. Now, this is interesting. We know what's going on. The church is growing. And anytime, listen to me now, whether you believe it or not, Cornerstone is growing. And any time the church grows, there's a need for more help right? And so we see this in the book of Acts, the birth of the early church. You know, people are getting born again. You got 3,000 being born again one day. You got 5,000 being born again the next day. And the church is growing. And then we see that the apostles are trying to have this food program where they're disseminating food to the widows. And because there's so many of them and so few people serving, they can't get it done. And so the widows are starting to complain. The Greek ones are complaining to these ones. We didn't get our food. And so this is a real problem for the apostles. And they come up with this answer here in verse 3. It says, we apostles should spend our time preaching and teaching the word of God, not in minister in the food program. So they said, now look around among yourselves, brothers, and select seven men who are well respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll put them in charge of the business of what? Serving food. Right, It says, then we can spend our time in prayer and preaching and teaching the word. This idea pleased the whole group, so they chose the fallen. Now, they choose seven men, but I just want to look at the first two. Number one, they chose Stephen. Number two, they chose Philip. Now, if you jump down to verse eight, what am I talking about? How it benefits you when you serve. When you serve, you receive training. So they selected Stephen and Philip and five other dudes, and they began to serve. And as they were serving, they were receiving the training that they needed. How do I know that? We'll jump down to verse eight. Stephen. A man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So he obviously received something while he was serving food and helping out the apostles. He was trained in that moment so when God needed him to step up, God was able to use him in powerful signs, wonders, and miracles. Now if you jump on over and look at Philip over here in chapter 8. A great wave of persecution began. Well, we'll jump down verse 4. We'll skip that for time's sake. Verse 4. But the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to what he had to say because of the miracles he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Someone say healed. So there was great joy in the city. A man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer there for many years, claiming to be someone great. The Samaritan people, from the least, from the least of the greatest, often spoke of him as a great one. The power of God. He was very influential because of the magic he performed. But now... The people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. So you see a sorcerer now getting born again and getting baptized because Philip, this crazy evangelist who served food to the widows received his training by watching the other apostles. Now, we don't have any time frame. We don't really know how long Stephen and how long Philip served the apostles and how long they worked in the food program. But what we do know is they served first and then they walked in miracles. What we do know is they received their training and then they walked in the power of God. If you keep on reading in Philip, you all know what happens. He sees the eunuch on the road reading the Word of God, and he looks all confused. He walks up to the chariot, and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch says, how do I understand? I have no man to explain it to me. And then Philip says, bro, an opportunity. I can explain this to you. So he begins to explain the Word of God to him. He gets baptized. That eunuch man then goes to Ethiopia and starts a church. So he's walking in the power of God. He's walking in signs, wonders, and miracles. He's getting people baptized where sorcerers are leaving witchcraft to come now follow Jesus. And then churches are being started because he first served. Remember what Jesus said. The greatest among you will be your servant. And those who want to be first must be last. See, I don't know where this mentality came from that when we serve in the church, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Because yes. not has only blessed the church and the community and everybody around you, but it benefits you. Yes. Serving as an usher, watching the power of God fall. Next week, we're going to look at how serving increases our faith. Yes. And it's important to grow in your faith but you're watching Pastor Mark go and pray for people. You're watching Ann Durant go and pray for people and watching the sick get healed. And then you're at work tomorrow and someone walks up to you and they say, man, I've just got this terrible headache. Because you've been trained, you can say, I know what to do. Let's slay that giant. You pray for him right there at the drinking fountain, in the break room, wherever. Come on now, in miracles. Isn't this what Jesus said? That signs would follow those who believe the works that you've seen me do. Go and do greater works. You can't do the greater works until you've been trained. Amen. Amen. And how do you receive your training? Well, you get in your place. We see this in Mark chapter 5. Remember Jesus with the woman of issue of blood? She came and she touched the hem of his garment. She was healed. And in that same moment, there's Jairus. His daughter's dying. She's come to get the rabbi, to get the teacher. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, Jairus, for your daughter's not dead. And then he takes Peter, James, and John with him. Right, they go to Jairus' house and they come in there, and there's all those professional weepers. People getting, come on now, people getting paid to cry. Just fake. Can I just tell you, get the fake people out of your life? Get the fake people out of your life. And then I'll go a step further. Don't be a fake person, don't be a fake Christian. We have a hard enough time convincing the world that Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way. I don't need any fake Christians out there messing it all up. Be sincere in your faith. Be sincere in your love. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be a good Christian so we can win many souls to Jesus Christ. But you remember, they come in Jairus' house and Jesus sees all the weeping. What's he say? He says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. How do I know they're fake? Because then they started laughing. And it wasn't the power of God that made that transition for him either. So what Jesus do? He said, get all the fake people out here, James, Peter, John, round them up and get them out. So he got all the unbelief and all the fakeness out of the room. Your life will radically change when you get the fake away. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And then I love what Jesus said to her. He said, get up. And then she got up, right? Well, now let's jump ahead to Acts chapter nine, verse 40. Peter goes to Tabitha's house, right? In the Greek, her name was Dorcas, but i like Tabitha better, it's pretty. She's lying there dead. Bunch of people in there, what's Peter do? Clears out the room, gets everybody out. And then I love this, even the same exact thing that Jesus said to Jairus' daughter, Peter now says it to Tabitha. He looks at her and he says, get up. And then the Bible says instantly, she opened up her eyes, he grabbed Tabitha by the hand, took her out, and showed her to the people. how did he do that? He was trained. He served Jesus in ministry. And while serving Jesus in ministry, he received the training he needed to launch out into his own ministry. Now look at this scripture real quick. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good Now this scripture is important because when we look at Peter and we look at Simon, we look at Philip, we all relate that to ministry. But this scripture right here, that word good works, when you look it up in the Greek, it's talking about at your place of employment. It's talking about what you do for a career and what you do for a living. You've been created to do good works at your job. Oh, come on now. You've been created to do good works in your house with your family and your children. You've been created to do good works in high school and middle school and college. You've been created to do good works, but before you can do those good works, you must receive your training. It benefits you to serve because as you serve, God can train you and he can develop you in your spiritual gifts. And once you're trained and developed, then you're ready for the challenges that this life will throw at you. Amen?